hashtag this text today. We are fam, family, and familia. Hopefully I said that right, uh, Victor. Did I get that right? India, did I get that right? All right. I got that familia part right. All right. All right. So I want to tag this text today. We are fam, family, and familia. Few things are more fundamental to who we are than our very own family. Few things are more foundational to society than family. And church, if I was just to take a wild guess, guess at what was at the top of Satan's target list, I would put family very high up. We are facing increasing numbers of divorces and fatherlessness like never before. We have children consuming laundry detergent pods. Lord, help us. When I heard that, I got mad for two reasons. Well, first, my heart was broken for the babies. But I'm like, I could have used that. I could have used that. I could have used that. I had to move away from extra because it be fading my clothes out. I'm like, no, eat the good stuff. And that on over here. Them pies over here. But in all seriousness, they're out of crazy. <laughs> We got children committing suicide, coming home to empty houses. And the very definition of what family is is under assault. Our sinful society has taken this glorious thing called family and turned it into a canvas for wickedness and perversion. What is marriage? What is family? What is a man? What is a woman? These basic identities and definitions are completely up for grabs in our society today. But the reality is, is that God alone can define what these things are. And the reason why is because God is the absolute reality, and apart from him, no other realities exist. He is the great I am. That's why when Moses walks up to the burning bush and he says, who should I tell him sent me? Tell him I am sent you. I existed before anything else existed. And when children ask, where did God come from? God didn't come from anywhere. He always was, will be, and is right now. And so all definitions derive their meaning and value from him and him alone. Mankind does not have the right to redefine what God has already defined in his word. There is not only confusion, confusion with defining our immediate family or natural family, but there is confusion in defining our spiritual family, the church. Colin Smith suggests a number of common but faulty metaphors for the church. He says the church can be viewed as a gas station, a place to fill up your spiritual tank. Make sure you get 93, because there's some 87 out there. That's that bad stuff. That's that, that's that bad doctor you put in your gas. No, just leave it alone. To be recharged spiritually, a theater a place to watch others perform. What about a drugstore? A place to ease psychological pain. A big box retailer, a one-stop producer of programs for children and adults. Someone else compared the church to a tourist destination. A place to drop in and visit without a sense of commitment or permanency. These are all faulty, inadequate metaphors. We have done a number to this word family, both in the church and outside the church. 
We ask ourselves, what is the problem in the world? We often think government, people need to be governed more. We need more sufficient government, or we think school systems because people aren't sufficiently educated. And although these things are problems, but one thing, that primary thing that we overlook is family, familial. We seem to overlook the importance of the institution of family. Some of us are so confused, we just don't know how to function as a family or a church family. But if we're looking for answers, we got to go to the Bible. The Bible provides wisdom in the chaos and answers grounded in the internal nature of God who made marriage, family, and the church in the first place. Church, I don't know about you, but when I'm confused and I don't know where to turn, I always like to go back to God's word. Let every man be a liar, but the word of God remain true and sufficient. God has engineered, he has constructed family in his own design. And if we want to find clarity, if we want to find meaning, we got to go back to God. So let's go there now. We are going to dive into Genesis chapter 2 here in a moment. But to understand chapter 2 of Genesis, you got to understand the way that it is set up. A lot of people don't understand the flow of Genesis, so they come up with the wrong interpretation of Genesis. And so usually Genesis gives a statement, and then later on it will explain how that happened. For an example, what we'll be studying today, if you go back into chapter 1 and you go to verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the what? The fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Pause. If you're trying to figure out why you are here, if you want to know your purpose, it is rooted right there in that text, right there, created in the image of God. Let's get the picture here. If you come to my house and you see pictures of me all around my crib, you're going to know what my life is about. God created mankind in his image. There's seven billion people that are supposed to reflect his image. Do you understand what life is about? It's about the glory of God. When you keep creating people in your image, there's something that you're trying to say. Life is about me. It is not about you. Now, chapter 2 goes back into day 6, found in chapter 1. And it gives us the details, it expands, it builds upon the details of chapter 1. All we know about the other five days of creation is found in chapter 1. But when you come to day 6, then the particular, the particular, the creation of man, God knows we need more details about ourselves. Therefore, chapter 2 gives us more details on creation of man, which was from day 6 in chapter 1. So what you have in chapter 2 is an expansion of the creation of man indicated on day 6 in chapter 1. Are we on the same page still? All right. You got your Bibles. Go to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 24. Tell them to come to church. That was a joke. 
Let me make sure my phone on silent on because I'm on. All right, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Y'all ready? All right, let's read it as a family. Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother. The lady said amen. And hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see here that the first two roles that God established in the family as mommy and daddy, or husband and wife. How excited Adam must have been. Come on, somebody. When God brought Eve to him, I can see it in my head. I mean, think about it. Lonely. Just got done naming all the animals. Ain't none of them attractive. <laughs> What's up, Lord? Can I get, can you show your brother some love down here? Adam on Christian mingle, looking for somebody. And then through the trees, through the bushes, Comes Eve. Now, you paint this picture the way you want to paint it, but I'm going to paint it the way I want to paint it. Because I see the Isley brothers playing in the background. Who's that lady? Beautiful lady. Lovely. I wish I could say it right now. Real fine lady. You hear me calling out to you. And I ain't talking about hot mama, little mama, none of that stuff. Because that's all I can do. Adam is excited. Adam is filled with an abundance of joy as God fashions and creates a woman for him. And it is so important that we stick to this blueprint when it comes to the family design. One man and one woman. I know there are many other definitions of marriage rising to prominence, but the church must fight for this one. I don't care how happy people say that they are. If you, if, if you deviate from this blueprint, chaos is the result. There's no other way around it. But let me back up now. Let me back up for a second, okay? Because people who deviate from this blueprint, how should the church treat them? Should we look down on them? No. Should we treat them like garbage? No, they're human beings made in the image of God, broken like you and I. And their circumstance and situations tells me that they need the gospel just as much as I need the gospel. So we have to figure out a way to not confirm sin without at the same time belittling people who are made in the image of God. We don't deviate from the truth. We speak the truth in love. We don't deviate from it. We don't alienate people. Because if we don't go tell them that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God gives basic instructions here for man. He tells them to leave his crib, his family, his home. Sometimes we have men that are afraid to do so. And I was one of those. When I was 19, Tasia and I got married. 
and we moved back with my parents, I was scared to death to move out because of financial reasons, didn't know. Had our first kid at 16, it was terrifying for me. But she pushed me, she being my wife, we got to go. So let me tell you guys what pushed me over the edge. I'm just being open here. I'm just being honest. Don't y'all judge me. Don't put this on Facebook, all right? So one day, I go to the local Menards. I buy a key for Paige and I room that is located in my parents' house, right? And so I put the lock up there, and my dad gets home, and he says, hey, son, I'm going to need a key to that room. I say, huh? You go, he said, you say, what? You want to run that back? I'm like, but I'm paying rent away. He said, I don't care. This is my house. You're going to give me a key. I was in an apartment the next month. <laughs> I learned something there. I'm already planning strategies on getting my kids out of my house. <laughs> but God has designed, he has orchestrated, he has constructed, he has made a blueprint of what family should look, look like. When you go to a copy machine, you expect it to do just that. Expect it to make a copy of the original document. If it makes something else, that copy machine is broke. Ever, ever went to a copy machine and you could barely see what was printed? God expects humanity to continue making copies of his original blueprint for family and not for us to deviate. God establishes the family unit by explaining a basic human pattern of maturity where a son or daughter leaves their birth family unit to establish a new one. The unity of the family unity is one flesh. So the son and the daughter are to mature, move out of the home, and establish their own home. So that explains mommy and daddy. What about them kids? Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Somebody say amen. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. This is known as the creation mandate. It includes reproduction, multiply. Children who grow up leave the family unit of their childhood to create a new family with a spouse. If possible, they are fruitful with children who continue to generate this generational pattern. Watch God here, church. Create what? More children, right? God, God mandates them to create more children. Or we can say create more what? More image bearers, right? Create more children that, that have what? The Amago Day, right? Every person, I don't care the color of your skin, I don't care your economical status, I don't care where you live, you have the Amago Day on you, which means you are created in the image of God. And this is going to help a lot of people because a lot of us are trying to find our worth in what? In social media. You're trying to find your worth in what that boy has to say about you. You're trying to find your worth in what that girl has to say about you. You're trying to find your worth in what you have, but your worth is rooted in Almighty God. God has already said that you are worthy. No one can buy you. Nothing can substitute you. You are fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made, all of us. And it is a treason beyond treason 
when we do not treat each other in accordance to the way God has called us to. Now, Paige and I just had a baby a year ago, and she's driving me crazy, and I'm really rethinking this uh, mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I said, Lord, I was trying to be obedient. You didn't tell me it came with consequence. I thought if I was obedient, this would work out well. But I was telling somebody the other day, I ain't buying a new piece of furniture until these kids move out. They're killing me. Now I see why my grandma had that plastic on her account. I'm trying not to go there, but I've really been thinking about getting some plastic, y'all. So when y'all come on, anybody got free plastic? Y'all just laying around the house? I'm really, I'm really thinking this thing over. But here's the reality. God sees children as a blessing and a delight, and society sees children as a blight. They see children as getting in the way. There's this belief that children suck all the joy out of life, and some of y'all like they do, and that kids get in the way of what we really want. But here's the reality. The reason why we feel that way is because in America, we're so selfish. Yet here in America, we have the biggest houses and cars, but we want the fewest children. One preacher said the poorest nations talk about how many children they can have, and we talk about how many children we can afford while we drive around in our SUV. God commands that we have children, and they are not to be looked at as some kind of option or or some kind of life-sucking joy. Like some kind of leeches that are not, this is not what children should look like. So God says, one man, one woman, united in matrimony, natural or adopted children, and secondarily, any other person related by blood. And there's one more thing. After creating everything, God gives a divine assessment. It was very good. The human family is part of that assessment and blessing. God said it was good, which means it doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be upgraded, just duplicated, because if it could be done better, God would have done it better. Man can't outdo God. There's nothing that we can come up with. There's nothing that we can orchestrate. There's nothing that we can engineer that can outdo what God has already called good. Try as we may to cause other institutions to replace family, it will not work. No one can argue that a stable family means stable community. And stable family means stable church. It means stable school. So we must trust in God's blueprint. So the family goes, so does the church. So does the school. So does the community. Family is foundational to everything that we do. But why are families so broken and family relationships so painful? If we're to be honest here, all of us experience the pain of having family. Time doesn't allow me to read the whole account, but in Genesis 3, it narrates the story of Adam and Eve's sin. That sin destroyed their perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve is walking perfectly with God. They're in perfect harmony. Everything is good. Everything is okay. Everything is lovely. They're kicking it with God. But sin destroyed this perfect relationship. No longer would they enjoy complete and whole fellowship with their creator. Immediately they hide themselves. Literally in the bushes, they hide themselves. 
They experience guilt, shame, and fear. I want you to note that down because one of the results of sin is always the feeling of guilt, fear, and shame. We all we hide, we, we run away from God. Our relationship is broken with God. When we choose sin over God, things are broken and they are a mess. But what we must understand is that brokenness with God always will result in brokenness in our families. Nothing can remain beautiful and whole apart from God. Nothing can remain beautiful and whole apart from God. You take God out of the equation, you take God out of the equation, you take God out of your marriage, you take God out of society, you take God out of your schools, and you are going to have a mess on your hands. Nothing can survive without him. He is the very source of life. Nothing can survive without him. So Adam and Eve makes their own decision to turn away from God, to do what they want to do, and what is the result? The family system is broken up. Eve leads Adam, and Adam follows. In verse 6 in chapter 3, what happens next? Verse 7, they hide from each other. Verse 12, here we go. Adam blames Eve. It was her. You wouldn't have made a, just a little while ago, you were singing the Isley Brothers. Now, all of a sudden, this is on you, Lord. Right? So, Adam blames what? He blames Eve in God. If you ever been in a situation with someone who is so hell-bent on their sin, they blame everybody and everyone except for themselves. You, you'll be surprised how many people sit across from us as we counsel them and beckon them and plead with them to repent for their sins, and they are as blind as a bat. They cannot see because what you love affects the decisions you make. And if you are in love with sin, you cannot see it. And so Adam and Eve, Adam blames Eve. Then we go over to chapter 4, and Cain is jealous of his brother, and he murders him. We're four chapters in, and the Bible is already ugly. It's already a mess. Cain is mad. Verse 19, polygamy distorts God's family design. I think this is critical to understand because it is hard to work to restore family. It is hard to bring family back together if we don't understand the problem. You cannot come up with a correct solution if you do not know the problem. You got to assess the problem first. This is why I love AutoZone. You pull up. Right at the front door, they come out with that little machine, give you a little diagnostic test, right? They plug them little things up. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, right? If we had a spiritual one and we hooked it up to every heart in here, broken relationship with God, this, 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 and that, all of this is what is wrong with the human 
the, 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 the human family is sin, S-I-N. Everything goes back to this. All of our problems, physical problems, spiritual problems, moral problems, social problems, economic problems, political problems, all the problems in the universe have their origin in the events of this historic account. And today's family problem starts here. Now, this doesn't undercut the legitimate need for medicine and other kinds of help. But whatever issue we have starts in Genesis chapter 3. Sin is the problem. Sin is doing the opposite or different of what God has commanded us. When God intended for family life to be, per- to be perfect, he intended for there to be no chaos, no conflict, no struggle, no pain, no disease, no decline, no death. But how can some of us sum up our home? Disorder, chaos, conflict, struggle. Some of y'all was fighting on y'all, y'all way in, right? It's snowing outside, still fighting, sliding everywhere. Oh, I'm going to tell the truth on you. Maybe me and Paige too if I didn't drive separate. Decline, death. Most of this is due to our deviation of the blueprint. And the same is true with those we live with. When we deviate from the blueprint, problems occur. Adam opened this door for hell to invade our home. That's why I said when I get up to heaven, I'm going straight up to Adam. Somebody better hold me back. Romans 5.12 says it best. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. We all sin mainly because we are in who? Because we are in Adam. As long as you have a birthday, you are in Adam. Because you are in Adam, you can't help but sin. It's the very nature of who you are. That's the inclination of your heart. And the only way that is going to be healed is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to be taken out of Adam and transferred into the new man, who is Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the curse of Adam. Yet despite of all this, family is still important. It is at the very core of who we are. Some of the highest places of our love is preserved for those within our family. No one can hurt us like family. Of all the pains we can feel, family and marital strife and brokenness is the deepest. You get into it with somebody at work, you can still come to church and worship. But if you get into it with your spouse, you're struggling over there. If the guy, if the guy at David Buster's thinks you're lame, it hurts. But if your spouse thinks you're lame, it's devastating, at least for some of us. If they think I'm a lame, I'll be a little hurt. If a friend leaves you, it's painful. If your spouse leaves you, it's shattering. Your whole world is broken. You are crushed. I used to work at a nursing home, and working there showed me the importance of family. You can tell the patients who had family. Oh, oh, their room was in order. The nurses were there hand and foot. The CNAs were there hand and foot. I remember one time I was working at a nursing home, and they were mistreating this one guy. He couldn't see or whatever. 
And so I, I was just a housekeeper, so I would go in and out of rooms and clean. And I'm like, man, why they treating this dude so bad or whatever? So I go in there, say hello, say hi. And one day, his daughter came in there. She flipped the whole place upside down. And I'm on the other side of my car like, you get them, girl. You, you tell them. You, 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 you better tell them, girl. You, you, better, you better get them together. And so, and, and, so, and, and so from that point on, guess what? He got the best care. You know those who live, live the longest? Those who have family? Yeah, that's right. Family is that important yeah. that those in the nursing home would live longer lives if they had family that came and visited them and supported them. People who have families that support them are usually better off. Why? Because God made it that way. It almost comes natural to us. The fall not only affects our relationship with our natural family, but our church family. It is important that we understand that we are a family church. The most common analogy for the church in Scripture is family. Familia, where spiritual newborns are welcomed, where we grow and mature and accept different roles, where we love one another and respond to the need of one another, we, where we are challenged by one another to follow hard after the Savior. Often we forget that the church is family. We see this all through Scripture, Philippians 2.4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We're family. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We're family. John 13.34-35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We're family, church. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another and brother love. Give preference to one another in honor. We're family, church. Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Hold on now. What you got to say to us, Paul, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're family, church. 1 John 4.19 through 20. We love because what? He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hate his brother, underline brother, or his sister, underline sister sister. He is what? He is a liar. If you can't love your brothers and sisters, how you gonna go around talking about you love the Lord and you'll give yourself up the Lord but you don't love your brother and sister sitting next to you? There's an issue with that. There's a spiritual issue that God takes up with us when we can't love our brother. Oh, there's so many church people that claim they love God and are about as hateful and it's just disrespectful and can't stand nobody. Don't want to fellowship with nobody, don't want to go to church with nobody. How you talking about you love the Lord? Oh, I love Jesus all in your pretty white. You know what Jesus told those Pharisees? He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. I came to tell you, if you say that you love God and you can't love your brother and sister, you need to do a spiritual heart check. You need to pull up in auto zone, have them do a spiritual diagnostic test on your heart and find out if there's any life there. I came to tell you, church, real spiritual life is shown through the way that you treat one another. If you can't honor one another, respect one another, give to one another, there's a spiritual issue with you. We are family. But here's the reality. 
We expect church not to come with any hurts or disappointments. And I use the word family. But the reality is every single individual in this room comes with their brokenness. You come with your sin. If we were to see who you really are, if we were to put your thoughts on the screen right now, they probably said hurry up with the sermon, but besides that one, We come here with our shortcomings, and if you hang around this church long enough, you're going to see the ugliness of your brothers and sisters. You're going to find out some of them is not as spiritual, deep as you think that they are. You're going to find out that their Facebook page is not always telling the whole truth on them. Therefore, Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sin has done a work on the family unit, both natural and spiritual. But here's the good news. God is at work to restore the family in and through Jesus Christ. God is at work bringing the pieces back together. What a wonderful comfort it should be for the orphan who will have a father forever. The single or divorced who will experience a perfect marriage forever with Christ. The teen who is living between a bad divorce between parents will feel the love of God forever. In eternity, we will experience with our, with our perfect brothers and sisters the love of Christ. And one day, we will all be radiant. We will be, we, we will be shining with the glory and the majesty and the magnitude and the depth and the breadth of who Christ is. Church. Did you know one of the biggest reasons that Jesus died was to make a family? One of the biggest reasons he died on the cross was to restore a family. Some of us might die if somebody does something to our family, but Jesus died to redeem us and make us his family. Oh, my brothers and my sisters. The blood that Jesus shed for us way back on Calvary was so that he may redeem a family for himself. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make the propitiation for the sins of his people. Church, what keeps the church together is when we understand the depths of the gospel. That Jesus died for your sister and brother's sin just as much as he died for you. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to be able to walk in forgiveness. The reason why we can keep on walking, because the same cross that I look to is the same cross that my brother and sister is looking to. And so if we're both looking at the cross and we're walking towards the cross, there's no way we can't meet up together. There's no way that forgiveness cannot reign between us. No church can survive without a, a comprehensive understanding of the gospel. As of now, church, and I got a timeline up here, we live in this in-between time between the fall of the family and the full redemption and restoration of the human family. So God creates the family. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve falls in chapter 3. 
And we're in the middle waiting on God to bring back a full restoration of what family really is. The church is the restoration of the family now. God is restoring the family now through the church. The church may be imperfect now, but it will be perfect in the future. There will be no more crying. There will be no more hurt. I love the way Revelations 21 verses 5 through 7 put it. And he who was seated on the throne said, but hold, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. He said down the scripture, don't write it down. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. God takes us back before the fall. He says, I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to get rid of the old. I'm going to get rid of sickness. I'm going to get rid of decay. I'm going to get rid of brokenness in family. I'm going to get rid of sin. I'm restoring things back to the way they were before the fall. A family in perfect harmony with me and everyone else that believes in the name of Jesus. And so the anticipation of the future life to be something that we cling to, the anticipation of heaven is the only reality that can make life here more easy. It is, only, it is the only real hope that we have. How does this family come together? Jesus comes, he leaves heaven, he lives the life that we cannot live, he, he's crucified, he dies, he's buried, he's raised again, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but not only does he pay for my sin, what else does he do? He pays for my adoption so that God can adopt me. Now, in the adoption field, they call it your forever family, right? In the adoption field, they say your forever family. So, so when the family comes in and to adopt the kid, they say, this is your kid forever. And what God did on the cross when he sent Jesus is he said, when I washed you, when I cleaned you, when I found you in the dumpster of trash and I brought you to myself, I was telling you that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all those who believe on Jesus is your forever family. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that although my family may be broken, although my family may be jacked up, although my family may be messed up, there is a forever family, an eternal family. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right because you might be spending eternity with them. Underline the word might. Amen. Check your salvation. But you may be hanging with them. Now, you may not be happy that you'll be hanging with them, but it doesn't matter. They're your forever family. You may not like what they got on. You may not like their ethnicity. But guess what? It doesn't matter. Because as long as they believe in Jesus, they're your brothers and sisters forever. But don't sometimes, church, we just wish we could just stay in the presence of God and linger there and enjoy it and not have to deal with sin, but that's not the case. Just imagine for a moment, church, all of us forever with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, forever and eternally, praising him and worshiping him. 
Just a second ago, we were singing songs and we were lifting up holy hands, stretching them to heaven. We could have just stood there forever. The day is coming, but not yet. Paige and I, sometimes we have children over our house. And they say, man, I wish I can stay here forever. Number one, that's a negative. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you're going home. You and you, you're going home. But we as the children of God feel the same way sometimes. God, can I just stay here forever? Not yet. But it's coming. The blessing of the family here and now, there are still remnants that we can celebrate. We see broken reflections of what family was intended to be, just like broken mirrors still reflect images, but imperfectly. Our families today reflect some of what God intended it. This is not a message to say, abandon your family, heaven awaits you. Instead, Savior, the beauty you can see. Rejoice on those fun family movie nights. Rejoice when there are words of humor and love. Rejoice when there's child dedication. Rejoice when you take your daughter down the aisle. Rejoice when you're playing spades and you set your partner. Rejoice. Just threw that in for free. Rejoice when you're playing Uno and the things are, and it's fun. Rejoice when you got barbecues. Rejoice. These things are good and to celebrate. Don't be the square on the wall that's always just saying stuff that don't make no sense. Hey, can you pass me some water? You thirsty for the Lord? No, man, I just asked you for some water. That's it. Can we enjoy this moment, please? Can you pass the plate? Well, you know Jesus is the bread of life. Man, if you don't pass the plate, man. I'm talking about this oversay. Calm down, bro. Woo-wee. The fact that it is still here is something we should never take for granted, that family is still here. God chose to allow family to continue even after sin. He did not allow everything to continue. He didn't allow life, eternal life to continue. Many things were lost, but not family. It is a gracious gift from God, and we should be thankful that we even have a family, even more so if we belong to the family of God. Do not take it for granted that you are numbered among the children of God. Do not take your salvation for granted. You don't have to see. Your heart doesn't have to beat for God. You don't have to be promised eternal life. Let's not be arrogant. Let's be humble and submit to the fact that, God, you saved me. You saved Dexter Harris, a wretched 19-year-old boy that was on his way to hell. You saved me, and you brought me to yourself. May we never grow callous to the gospel of Jesus Christ that he saved us and called us his sons and daughters. Never. May we never grow callous to that. So what does it look like for the church to operate as a family? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts 
praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Tell me, church, that's not family. God loves family. The power of the Holy Spirit falls when the church operates as a family. The word family should mean something for the church. Look at them, looking out for one another, caring for one another, getting together every now and again, opening up their homes, breaking bread. How does that look in our context? Every now and again, some of us ought to open up our homes and open up our ovens and make food. I don't care whether it's fried chicken and Kool-Aid. Yours may be tacos. Yours may be chicken casserole. Whatever it may be, that's okay. If you make it, I'll come over and I'll eat it and I won't talk about you later on. But anyways, we as a church should ought to be opening up our homes. Let me pause for a second. Because I really want to hammer this point home. I really, I really want us to get this. Church is more than gathering on Sunday. All right? Church is more than us only seeing one another when there's a program being had. Church is when we stop being program-oriented and event-oriented, and we become family-oriented. When we say not, when can I see you at the next event? When we say, when can I see you next, brother? When we open up our homes and invite one another over, that's, that's the real church. When, when my brother is hurting and I carry his burden, that's, that's real church. Well, I'm not talking about religion here. I'm going to set a religion aside for a second. It's when I'm able to carry your burden. See, see, part of what we lost is hurting for one another. When the last time you hurt for your brother, you see him in pain and you can't go to sleep because he can't go to sleep. That's what you call family. Right? You see your brother without, you say, no, I can't have extra and not help my brother out. That's what you call family, right? So, so, so family church is more than just showing up on Sundays, raising our hands, saying how those things are good. But as we look in Acts, they met daily. Right? They were in the work daily, right? This is what we see, right? I'm not talking about what we see in America. I'm not talking about religion. We say, I'm talking about what we see in Scripture. This is what we want to be. And a lot of people say we, we want to be a Bible, a Bible-based church. There's one thing to know Scripture. There's another thing to walk it out, right? And so what we see is them walking out the gospel. They're walking out what Christ has done. This is what the church should be. It should be tangible. And I say this all the time. It's not enough to have orthodoxy and not have orthopraxy. So you have all the doctrine you want, and if your doctrine doesn't line up with your life, something's wrong. The church family will experience conflict and brokenness, but it doesn't make us not family. Paul dealt with this in Philippians. I entreat entreat you, Iota, and I entreat you, Cynthia, to agree in the Lord. You know what? When you start hanging around each other, and this is the reason why we like programs and events, and I'm getting ready to end here. The reason why we like programs and events is because of this, because programs and events are safe for us. There's a safe. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what time we're going to get out. I know everything that's going to happen. And the reason why we don't like relationships is because relationships are messy. They're messy. I know you're junk now. Sunday morning is not as pretty because I know what you struggle with. I know the sin that you're struggling with. But can I still love you in spite of it? Can I still see the gospel in spite of it? 
programs are safe. Relationships, guess what? When you start hanging around each other, you know what's going to start to happen? Oh, yeah, it's going to be conflict. Yep. There'll be gossip sometimes. Because we're, we're, we're completely opening ourselves up to one another. And say, I'm broken. But I still love you. I'm broken, but I'm still your brother in the Lord. I'm broken, but I'm still your sister in the Lord. When brothers get together or sisters get together and we start sharing our sin and our brokenness and our fallenness and we start weeping and crying for one another and praying for you watch what God does to this church. He's blowing out of the water. Out of the water, he's going to blow it. The, 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 the world will be amazed when black and white and Latino and, and, and all these ethnicities are loving each other as family. I'm not talking programs. It's funny that in our natural family, we don't let much divide us. But in our church family, we let politics and race divide us. We are willing to walk out on our church family for these things. But if we're family, it doesn't matter. I'm still your brother. I'm, st <laughs> I'm still showing up at the family reunion. Whether you like me or not, I'm going to be across from you. I'm going to be across from the chicken when you show up. I'm going to be there. Whether you like me or not, because we're still family, it doesn't matter. I want to be clear, this message doesn't say hang it there, die, and then family will be great when Jesus returns. No. Jesus' victory over sin at the cross was the inbreaking of a future kingdom in the here and now. He is restoring what sin has broken. Your family today can experience some of what total family redemption will look like in the new creation. Never perfect. Not even close sometimes but still supernatural and empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The cross stands in the middle of the fall and in the middle of restoration. You have the, you have the cross, you have the fall, you have the fall, you have the cross, and you have restoration. Jesus in the middle of both of them. And if you can take that same picture and see Jesus in the middle of the broken family, He's there in the middle, and he's in the, and, and on the other end of the cross is the complete restoration of the family. And the way that we have to see our families, mothers and fathers, get this, you are not the savior of your family. Jesus Christ is in the middle, and he's holding it all together with his hands and with his feet and with his nails and with his thorns. He's holding it all together. And when you want to give up on family and you want to quit, know that Jesus is in the middle of it all. I want to talk to the individual in the room who have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are not in the family of God. I want you to know that Jesus is still in the business of adopting children. And he will welcome you with open arms if you will repent, turn from your sins, and come to him. And you can be part of this forever family called the church. And one day, we are going to be with him forever forever lifting our hands and worshiping him as brothers and sisters in the Lord.